What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today I was joined by a very special guest on the show. I had Eve Guzman on the show with me. And anytime you have an individual who has lost half of their body weight and was featured in People Magazine for the accomplishment, and then was able to keep the weight off long-term, we should probably pay attention. Not only has Eve gone through her own transformation and, like I mentioned, losing half her body weight, being featured for the accomplishment, and being able to keep the weight off long-term, she has also been able to coach other coaches on exactly how to do the same thing for their clients. Regardless of how much weight you have to lose, whether it's 10 pounds, 50 pounds, 100 pounds, or more, These are the principles that have stood the test of time. These are the habits and the behaviors and the mindset changes that need to occur in order for the results to last. So this is somebody who has been through it herself. So she's speaking from experience. She is also incredibly knowledgeable and, like I mentioned, coaches other coaches on how to help their clients achieve the same thing. I love being able to pay it forward. Uh, There's a lot of coaches that listen to the show. There are a lot of people who are on their own transformation journey, whether you are going through it yourself or whether you are trying to help other people with their transformation. This is an important episode to tune into. Uh, If you enjoy it, we would love to hear some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can tag us both on Instagram. You would just take a screenshot of the episode, post it to your stories. You can tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And you can tag Eve at Eve underscore fit chick. So we also would love it if you subscribe to the show. Just hit the follow button wherever it is that you listen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. There is a follow or subscribe button that gives you automatic notifications when new episodes release every Monday and Wednesday. And of course, every week we do a giveaway for anyone that leaves a five-star rating and review on the show. The way that you do that is you open up the Apple Podcast app on your phone. You go to the search function. You type in Mind Over Macros. You tap on the thumbnail. You scroll all the way down until you see the ratings and reviews. You tap write a review, hit your five stars, write a little something, and submit. And you're eligible to win a free supplement from one of our sponsors, Organifi or Cured. And we do one winner every single week. Well, we actually do multiple winners every week. We pick from the reviews and we also pick from Instagram, anybody who tags me on their stories. So those are all the ways that you can help new people find out about all of the wisdom that we're bringing on this show, the amazing guests like Eve. And uh, we've got a stacked lineup coming up. I'm excited. We keep getting more downloads. We keep getting new listeners. And I appreciate that you spend a little bit of your time with me in your ears, wherever you are, in your car, in the gym, at work, hopefully paying somewhat attention to work, but but this is more important. Let's be honest. Just tell your boss, this is more important. Anyway, let's get into the conversation with Eve. All right, everybody. I am joined today by a very special guest. I have Eve. Eve. I combined your first name and last name. I have Eve. <laughs> and we don't, we don't edit anything, so we just let it go. Whatever happens. I, I say this all the time. I have uh, a couple coaches that reached out to me and they were like, what do you do when you make a mistake on your podcast? Cause I want to start a podcast and I'm so nervous. And I was like, it all gets aired. So no matter what uh, I have Eve 
Guzman on the show. And I feel like we've known each other for a while, but then met for the first time in person. And uh, it's always funny how you can be connected with somebody in the social media world. And then we're like, I feel like I know you, but then we finally got to meet at the Real Coaches Summit. Uh, shout out to Aram for an amazing event. I feel like I've been going through a lot of the speakers. I had uh, Ali Gilbert on. I had Kate Callahan. I've got Dr. Mike coming up and uh, of course yourself. So welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thanks. It's nice to be back in your presence. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Uh, so I unfortunately didn't have the opportunity to listen to a ton of the presentations at the event because I was pre preparing for my own and uh, doing a lot of work as well, trying to keep up with my business. But I did get to sit on in on yours. And the first thing was, I didn't know your full origin story and like where, how it all started for you. And I, it was just really inspiring. So I would love to start there and how you got into the nutrition space and the health space and uh, just kind of the journey that led you to this point. Cool. I love that you use the word origin story because that's exactly what I use. It's definitely an origin story. Um, and I don't talk about my journey or where I started as much as I used to, because I do have an audience that's kind of a mix of gen pop and coaches. Um, I don't want it to be like the leading thing, but I did lose a crazy, crazy amount of weight. Um, I spent over 20 years um, fighting, battling obesity. When I was a child, I was like 100 pounds by the time I think I was like eight years old, 160 pounds by middle school. By the time I went to high school, I was 200 pounds. Um, wearing men's clothing because nothing else fit. You know, everything was like petite and small and, you know, it was just way too tight. I couldn't fit it. And by the time I went to college, I was 225 pounds. I found myself at almost 300 pounds and I only knew that I weighed um, 277 pounds when I went to the doctor because my scale at home wouldn't even go up that high. And then I stayed off the scale. Um, I'm 5'1". I was 277, 278 pounds. And I got to the point that all I could wear was like just pull on jeans with like an elastic band. So couldn't find real jeans with like a button and a zipper. And that was really the turning point for me when I got to the point that I couldn't buy anything in the store to kind of feel cool, feel, you know, like I was everybody else in their 20s and college. And the turning point was not being able to find clothes to wear. And I was like, I got to get my shit together. Um, I got tired of complaining that I was overweight. I got tired of like hiding and blending into the background. And I'm like, hey, I have a background in science. Like I should be able to figure this out. Um, and then I started doing weight loss programs that were made by other people. Other people marketed them, Weight Washer, Slim Fast. You know, all of that jazz that's going to be on the podcast. <laughs> um, but I did all of those things until eventually I started creating my own diet that I could stick with. But I ended up losing 120 pounds in about 16 months time and kind of hit a plateau for a little bit and was really inspired by people's magazine that do this half their size issue every year. Sometimes there's multiple issues, but they're really cool because they highlight everyday people that lose weight in a real way. Um, and I don't want to downplay, you know, what other people um, may need to do to get to their goal, um, but they lose it naturally through changes in exercise, uh, food cons consumption, things like that. And I was inspired. I was like, if they can lose half their body weight, why not me? Like, it's possible, it's happening. 
it is kind of rare, but people are doing it. And so I use that magazine as my motivation to lose the last remaining pounds to kind of hit that half their size point. And I ended up hitting that in 2014. Um, People Magazine found me because I hashtagged all of my posts, half her size. No one knew who I was. I didn't have any kind of, you know, cool following. I was getting five likes, seven likes. I was happy when my friends, you know, would like and acknowledge that I was like still kind of chugging my way to hit the goal. And then they emailed me out of nowhere. They ended up calling me and said, hey, we want to interview you and share your story. I thought it was a joke. Um, I still at that point didn't completely trust social media. And it was weird. I'd only been on there like eight months. And I ended up in their magazine in 2015. And that was kind of the springboard for telling my origin story more. I'm talking about what I was doing more in detail versus just like before and afters but really starting to talk about like what I was doing, how I was doing, my mindset around it, um, what kept me going, you know, discipline over motivation, all that jazz. And I ended up leaving a career in laboratory science and research to start coaching people how to lose weight. And that kind of took off in 2015. So that's my origin story. There's a lot, a lot more details there, of course, but that's probably the fastest way I can tell it. Yeah, I love it. It's such a powerful story. I'm curious, uh, how did you know what to do at that time? Because, you know, we share a similar story. I, I went through all the name diets and kept trying to lose weight, and gained it back. And I struggled for a long time. And I always say that I'm a slow learner because it took me probably 10 years before I finally was like, you know what, I have to actually change my habits and my behaviors and my mindset around this. Otherwise, I'm going to always land back at square one. Uh, when you were doing things on your own, when you said, I created my own process, how did you know what to do? And how did you make sure that it was sustainable, that you weren't going to rebound or gain the weight back? Yeah. So back in like the mid 2000s, like 2005 and stuff like that, there wasn't what we have now. I don't even know when YouTube started. I can't even quote the date of when that happened, but I was literally reading books. I wasn't really even using the internet to figure it out. But a lot of people in early 2000 weren't even talking about calories in, calories out. And even having a background um, in science, and it was mostly like biochemistry biochemistry and cellular biology, we didn't talk about that stuff. And I read like calories in, calories out, the laws of thermodynamics. And I'm like, well, if I'm overweight, I must be like an over consumer. And I, you know, we didn't really say surplus back then, but I'm I'm over consuming. And I thought, ah, I need to move more, eat less, or at least one of those. And that's literally how I got started by tracking my calorie intake and creating a calorie reduction. Now, you know, that was like 18 years ago. Um, and the calories I initially set were too low, and we've all gotten way better at that since then. But I started with tracking my food. And I had that initial mindset of, well, the science says I'm probably over consuming and that's why I'm overweight, but I don't feel like I'm eating all day. I don't feel like I'm eating five times a day. I'm snacking every two hours. Once I started documenting what I was eating and that awareness came in, it was kind of like, oh shit, you're eating crap. The calories are um, high not the number of times of day I was eating, but I was eating highly processed, high calorie foods. It wasn't like a chicken breast at 120, 140 calories. 
It's the fried chicken barres, the fried chicken thighs that are 340, 3 fit. Like everything was just exponentially higher in calories. Um, because at one point I thought, well, I'll just eat fewer times a day. I was still eating the same junk. So through the process of calorie tracking, after about um, probably a month, month and a half, the light bulb went off of, man, like these, um, and I liked them at the time, but like ding-dongs and ho-hos and all the Debbie cakes, I could barely fit them in the macro. I mean, the calories I was setting, and I'm like, it's what I'm eating to, not how much. Because how many of us have said, I don't eat that much, but what is in the amount of, uh, what are the calories in the foods that you're actually eating? So then after I had that calorie goal set, I said, man, I'm hungry. I'm not fitting things in. I then started changing the foods that I was eating and started baking and um, putting things into whatever type of cooking um, technique that required less frying, less fat, less oil. And so I was starting to get more bang for my buck and I could actually stick to the calories I was consuming because I was getting fuller. And this was all before macros. I didn't start tracking macros until like 2012, 2013, when everybody thought it was like a fad back then. Um, but I started with calorie tracking and then going, oh my gosh, you are eating like an asshole. <laughs> yeah. So how, what was that transition like? Because my personal experience, when I first started trying to lose weight, I was doing it and I didn't recognize this until much later, but I was doing it so that I could continue eating like an asshole. Like my mindset was, well, I, I drink on the weekends, I eat pizza and cheesesteaks and fries and like all this crap. And I enjoy eating that food. So like, I'm going to try and be super strict all week so that I can eat like an asshole on the weekend. And I kept spinning my wheels until I finally came to the realization, like I keep doing this and it's, if the fundamental behavior doesn't change, I'm always going to be back at square one. And every single Monday I would go into this, I did like this group training class and the instructor would stand up there and she'd be like, all right, guys, we're going to work off those weekend calories. And I'm like, yes, let's go like sweat it out. And then finally I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. I keep starting over every Monday. I have to fundamentally change the types of foods that I'm eating, like the behaviors, the habits. And that was a difficult transition for me because that was a big part of my friendships and relationships and the people that I hung out with. It was like we, you know, I was in like a flag football league and after the games, we would sit in the, in the park and drink beer. It was like, that was how we connected. So now it was fundamentally changing who I was and what I did. And now I had to be the person that's like, actually, I'm not going to do that this week. And then I had to say it again and again, and they would go out for wings and I would be like, I'm not going to have that. So it was a really tough transition for me and, and lost some people along the way. What was it like for you to, to make that shift from eating poor quality food to then I'm going to totally change what I'm putting in my body? Oh my God, it was hard. I didn't really know how bad I was eating. I wasn't taught nutrition as a child and I wasn't even taught how to cook the healthier things. Like I had to learn how to cook a chicken breast. Like I knew how to batter and fry stuff. You know, I grew up with parents that had a lot of like Southern influences with food. And I was eating two double cheeseburgers from McDonald's and a French fry every day because it fit in my budget. So I was figuring out like what groceries actually cost. That was hard financially. And it's not as much as people think um, because eating out adds up, but there was like the financial piece, the skill set of how to cook, 
And then the comfort I found, man, I love Philly steak and cheese subs. I love them. Double cheeseburgers, the melty cheese, like it was comforting after a stressful day at work. I love the sodas with all of the high calorie. Like I love that stuff. The weekends, just like you described, the same things. We're meeting up at Applebee's because that's what was popular when I was 25. You know, Applebee's was like the place, Chili's, you know, getting these big sugary drinks, you know, margaritas, whatever you're like, it became a social thing. I had to then start saying no to that food and going there full. I had to eat my meal before I went or have it in the car, already warmed up in the meal prep container, sitting on my seat when I came out and I would have to go in there and maybe just have like a Diet Coke, Diet Sprite. And there were some people that stopped inviting me because it wasn't fun for them to see me not eat and say no while they're just like gobbling down like 1600 calorie plates. And it was kind of like, is Eve judging us? So yeah, there were relationships that were um, kind of broken And there were people that wouldn't invite me to stuff and people always questioning me, why are you counting out things? Why are you counting out the tortilla chips? Why are you like, put your chips and salsa serving over here so I stay away from the big batch? And I think some people were um, a little bit threatened by the fact that I was having these goals and doing something that was good for me. Um, and so I lost their support in the fact that they thought, damn, she probably thinks I'm a fat ass or whatever they're thinking, you know, whatever descriptive word you want to put in there, but it was everything, financial skill set, emotional comfort food, friends, learning how to eat, you know, it was like, it was a job to figure out what to eat before I went to an event. And it was a lot of like wheel spinning of can I even stick with this? Because I felt like what I was doing wasn't normal because no one else was like doing it. But in all actuality, this is really kind of how we should be eating, you know? Yeah, I think what what you're highlighting is really important because it illustrates the point that this is a never ending process. And it's not an easy one when you are when you have been raised a certain way and there's a lot of societal influences and there's relationship influences and there's, you know, all the different pressures of the diet industry and telling you to, you know, restrict this and deprive yourself of that and which diet is best. And then we get very dogmatic in our approaches. And, uh, and then on top of that, you think that there's this like finish line. And then as you start to go through the process, you recognize that we're playing an infinite game that never ends. And there's always going to be the next challenge. And when you like scale one mountain, you don't get to like chill up there at the summit and look at all you've achieved. You can do that for a short period of time, but you realize there's the next mountain that you have to climb. Uh, what do you think if you had to pinpoint the things that you went through? Like, why didn't you gain the weight back? Why if, to lose the amount of weight that you did is a significant achievement, but so many fall into the rebound effect or their metabolism slows down. They get intense hunger and cravings. They have uh, whatever various influences that we just talked about that you know uh, the statistics are are pretty sad when it comes to weight regain for people that lose body fat and why what do you think it was about you that allowed you to keep the weight off and to to keep you know pursuing the health journey that you were on i think it's a couple of things the biggest one to kind of sh- sum it up in the short the shortest phrase is my life sucked back then And I do not want to go back. Like it's literally the negative experience mentally, emotionally, physically that 
I, my life has changed so much from the, how I felt then to now that is enough fear to make me want to be disciplined. And the discipline became something that I can sustain without even thinking about now. Like it's just second nature, all of the things that I do. Do I get tempted? Do I want to eat a little more and splurge? Yeah, but I do know how to kind of turn that off, reel back in um, to like what is normal for me. I don't feel like my life is a diet anymore. Like this is just so maintainable. But like getting winded over a flight of steps, thinking about the fact that I may not have been around to see my kids grow up, um, not being able to wear clothes to functions and I stayed at home, you know, being called the fat, smart girl with the cute face like that shit got old. Like I was like I hated being, you know, bracketed into that and then the anxiety and then like depression and like hiding in my car and eating so people weren't talking about, oh my God, she's like slamming out, like all of that negative stuff and how great I feel now, like how proud I am, um, how I have so much metabolic flexibility now, my strength, you know, kind of those things where people go, well, I'm not an athlete. I can't, I wasn't either. I can do all these things now, but so much has changed in the life quality I have that that's probably the first thing. And the second is because I have had such an impact on other people's lives, even just motivating them to get started and they're not even working with me and they're just following my account. I have so many people that are depending on me to help show them the way, um, really be a model for them of like creating a great life that's sustainable, that isn't boring and food still tastes good knowing that people have looked up to me and are counting on me, like that definitely helps. Um, yeah. It definitely helps and reminds me that, man, I got to help people. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned helping people get started. And that this is the part that I find really interesting because you mentioned the quality of life beforehand, getting winded, walking up a flight of steps, hiding from pictures, the discomfort of like, I don't, I can't fit in any of these clothes and um, all things that, you know, I, I fully relate to, like, as you're saying all those stuff, I'm thinking all those things, I'm thinking about the, you know, 260 pound version of myself of like, I was just em embarrassed on a daily basis and didn't want to see friends and didn't want to see family and you know, really hid from a lot of people in a lot of social situations. Uh, there's a lot of people that experience that right now. There's a lot of people listening who understand that, but are not doing anything about it or not changing. So when you say you help people get started. What is the key to that for those individuals who are experiencing pain and discomfort in their current situation, but yet they're not taking the steps necessary to change that current situation? Why do you think that is? And, and how do we how do we fix that? Oh, my gosh, there's so many things. I think social media is also a big issue. It's a big problem because we see so many extremes. We see our favorite like fitness influencers or whatever we want to call them, put the word in the blank. And we see them doing workouts five, six days a week, abs ripped, muscles, you know, great delts, nice back, V, little waist, whatever, plug it in, whatever it is that someone wants. And some people are paralyzed and starting because it looks so damn hard. They see other people that have been at this five, six, seven, eight years, maybe yourself, maybe me, you know, whoever else. But we've been doing this a long time and their expectations of where they think they have to start 
um, could be skewed. Some people think, man, if I'm not ready to work out five days a week and it doesn't fit in my schedule now, it's not a great time to start. But if you're feeling like this, that's the biggest signal that you do need to start. And I don't think people understand even the impact of starting with three days a week of walking. I think they think we have to have these big guns thrown at everything. It's got to be a super deep deficit, cut out all processed foods on day one. And I've got to be doing 10K steps and I'm working out five to six days a week and I'm going to a one hour like hit class or boot camp. It's not that. I think it can be really paralyzing to see how people look and see what other people are listing out as like their routine and people freak the fuck out. And they're like, I can't do that. I don't, I, I'm, I don't know where to start because they see this long list of things people do. And I get that message probably three times a week. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. So I, I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of times it's comparing your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 20. Uh, a lot of times it's seeing the tip of the iceberg, but not seeing all of the the things below the surface that that person had to go through. Uh, and then there's, you know, it may be a, a total misconception that you see that person, that influencer, whatever it may be with the perfect body, but they could be really unhealthy. They could be doing things that are, are not supporting quality of life or well-being. So we never know the full story. I think that is the the dangers of social media. Um I think that lowering the barrier of entry and saying like, let's just walk for three days is, is a great place to start. Uh, what you outlined is like the classic New Year's resolution approach, which is I'm going to fix everything all at once because I've got this big ambitious goal. So we're going to check all of these boxes. And of course, it's not sustainable. Um, what about for the person that has started and they're still back at square one, the person that was like, you know what, I'm going to try this nutrition plan. I'm going to try this diet. I'm going to try this workout routine. and it didn't, you know, it didn't work. I couldn't stick with it. It wasn't sustainable. And here I am again, you know, I, I talked to a lot of women, especially who have been, you know, trying things for 20, 30, 40 years in certain, in certain cases, like mom put them on Weight Watchers when they were eight or nine or put them on a diet when they were really young. And it's just been constant cycling through different restrictive protocols of, so there's the person who says, I don't know where to start. Then there's the person that says, I've just been through the ringer. Like, I don't even know if I have the energy to do this again. Um, how do we like help reframe what this process should look like for the person that has been burnt out so many times before, but they still they still have goals. They still want to be healthy. They still want to be fit. They want to set a better example for their kids. Um, what do you say to that person? I think for those people, they have to look at three things. I have to. I think they have to look at their personality because that create. I mean, that's a huge thing. Like, are you doing programs that aren't even really in line with who you are? And you're basically white knuckling it through because they aren't set up with who you are, what you believe in and what you even know signing up for like long term. Can you even keep up with that? Um, I could name all kinds of programs that I know I would not do because I know they're not a good fit. And just because they're working for Susie, that doesn't mean you need to hop on them and do them. So I think people need awareness of their personality, who they are and fit. Um, second is lifestyle. Yes, someone's working out five to six days per week, but if your lifestyle because of, you know, mom, parents, you got a lot of traveling, you know, you're like a um, high powered career person working 12 hours a day. You have to also realize that your baseline or your beginning point is going to be different than the person you're seeing doing five times per week. 
it is completely acceptable if your program is only strength training two times per week. Um, like that's really matching kind of that expectations and efforts um, as well. And then also like beginning on a program that you can see the transition into a maintenance phase that you can keep up for a long time. Like that's the third one. Um, like I know, and I don't want to knock this. So no one like go crazy. I know you always like preface things like don't come for me. You guys do not come for me. I'm just throwing out an example. 75 hard. I know some people do that for the mindset part, but some people also do it to lose weight. Okay, I said it. Um, but like me, I know I don't want to do that to lose weight because I'm not going to be working out twice a day for the rest of my life. And I think you need to think about like what is realistic that you could maintain after you maybe get through like the harder or like the crunch part where you're getting in, you're getting out of the deficit if your goal is weight loss, fat loss. But like, what is the transition after that? If you're macro tracking, do you see your future in being more of an intuitive eater because you gain the awareness from, you know, macro tracking? Um, keto, not something I typically follow, but calorie deficits are what create weight loss. But can you see yourself doing keto forever? I don't think people um, think about the translation of what they're doing to get to the goal into what it would be like to live that type of program, maybe slightly modified to maintain it. And I think that's where a lot of the burnout happens because they are doing these really horrendous things that aren't in line with their personality, their lifestyle, and what's going to be maintainable, but they're just jumping on board with what they see people losing um, 20 pounds in one month and think that they need to do that. But really having that I've got to walk before I run mentality, I don't even start my clients out on four days a week of lifting if they're not lifting that much. Um, but those are like the big, big things for people that have that burnout of constantly restarting programs all the time. I want to take a brief pause in this conversation with Eve to tell you that if you're not already taking Organifi Green Juice in the morning, you are missing out. I had somebody message me on Instagram and she said, Hey, Mike, after listening to you for a long time, I finally took your advice and got Organifi Green Juice and Organifi Gold Juice. She said, I've tried so many different greens powders in the past and I never liked the way that they tasted. So I've been hesitant to trust that this would be any different. She said, I was really surprised and pleasantly surprised at how good this green juice tastes. And I said, told you so. I didn't say that, but I wanted to say it. Um, the crisp apple green juice is the best tasting greens powder that I've ever tried. And I was in a similar situation of trying all these different green juices because I struggle at times to get in my veggies, especially when I'm traveling or when work is busier, when things are a little bit hectic. That's typically the first thing that falls off for me is my veggie consumption. And I just don't want to have to stress about it. So I cover my own ass and I get myself some Organifi green juice. I take that first thing in the morning. So it's done. I start my day with a positive habit. It's my insurance policy. It's filled with quality ingredients. Uh, it's packed with micronutrients. If you are taking care of your health, your wellness, your well-being, then start your day with some Organifi green juice and you will thank me for it because it is the best tasting greens juice that I have ever tried, especially the crisp apple. And you get 20% off 
for being a Mind Over Macros listener. Just go to Organifi.com slash popfam and use code popfam at checkout. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash P-O-P-F-A-M. Use code popfam at checkout. And I have kind of crowned or, or anointed this the pop bundle. It's not it's not really a bundle, but it should be, where you, you get Organifi green crisp apple and you get the Organifi gold chocolate. Uh, the same person that I was talking to on Instagram was asking how I make my Organifi chocolate gold drink in the evening. And it is super simple. I take warm almond milk. So I just pour some almond milk in a mug, warm it up, and I put in the gold chocolate powder and I froth it or stir it. That's it. I also use their Harmony and the Harmony is really good. It's it's for basically uh, hormonal health. So if you want to try the Harmony, uh, what we do, what Mel and I do is we use the Harmony and then we sweeten it just a bit. So we've tried Splenda, a little bit of Splenda. We've also tried monk fruit if you want something a little more natural. Uh, some monk fruit in there with the Harmony and warm almond milk is absolutely delicious. Also a very chocolatey, desserty type flavor. So it really helps to... to um, it helps with that craving for sweets at the end of the evening, and it really triggers that wind-down mindset of, okay, it's time for bed. So you get 20% off all of Organifi's products, Organifi.com slash PopFam. Use code PopFam, and uh, let me know if you enjoy the taste, if you enjoy that as part of your routine, morning routine, evening routine. Uh, look at all of their products, but for me, start with the gold uh, and the green preference of flavors for me, crisp apple for the green juice, chocolate for the gold juice, and let me know your experience. And now let's get back to the conversation with Eve. Yeah. And it's, uh, I really want to highlight this point because it's really profound that the deviation from what they're currently doing when they jump into a program, it can't be this massive gap of, well, I'm over here. I'm, you know, maybe I'm not, I don't have the best nutritional habits. I'm not working out. I'm not really moving my body very much, but I'm going to jump into this program that's telling me to train six days a week and, uh, you know, start completely adjusting and my nutrition. I'm going to eliminate carbs. I'm going to do two workouts, whatever it may be. Like that deviation from what you're doing is so dramatic that it's not sustainable in that moment. But if we focus most of our energy on building this strong foundation of quality habits, then when you go from that to a fat loss phase, if you're trying to lose weight, that deviation is very slight. It's just, it's subtle. Like I say this all the time for myself. The only difference that happens for me when I go from maintenance to fat loss is I drink a little bit less alcohol and I eat out a little bit less. Like that's pretty much it. Cause on a normal week, like I'm typically having maybe one to two drinks per week uh, if I'm in maintenance and I'm typically having one to two meals that are not cooked by me when I'm in maintenance. So it's usually Saturday nights, sometimes Sunday morning, sometimes a Friday night mixed in. Uh, but when I'm in fat loss, I reduce the amount of alcohol. I reduce the amount of meals that are cooked by me. It's very sustainable, even though it's still a sacrifice because I enjoy being social. And I do miss sometimes like the ability to just go out whenever I want or, or have a drink when I want. So it's like small sacrifice, short term. And then it's not this dramatic deviation from the norm, but it's really about building the norm instead of thinking that you have to suck it up and suffer for however long. And then typically what happens is we default to what we were doing beforehand. Um, as you mentioned, like this, this low barrier of entry, walking is one of them. What are some of the other like fundamental habits that you try to instill as a starting point that makes it seem digestible? And I also want to see like your thoughts on where macro tracking fits into that. Do you think it's something that 
beginners should tackle pretty early in the process? I'm sure it depends on the person, but would just love your take. Yeah, so for beginners, if they're getting started and there's someone that hasn't like calorie tracked or macro tracked, I try to give them um, goals with nutrition on focusing on protein consumption. Um, That is the biggest thing that I see that most people that have never tracked food and want some type of body composition um, shift that they're under tracking on. My husband and I had this conversation the other day. Like I said, hey, when you first started tracking macros, like, how low were you on what your protein probably should have been? And he was like, probably 40% under every single day. Um, So a lot of people will start out with walking, making sure that their their sleep and their uh, quality of sleep is good and focusing on getting protein in every meal, kind of approaching what we call like the macro plate method and having one fourth of their plate being protein no tracking whatsoever in every single meal. Um, If it's something where you don't have a plate, is it like your palm size? But this is a great place for people to start even for the first two to four weeks that want to get something going and they're intimidated by tracking. They don't want to think about numbers. They just kind of want to eat a little bit better, cook, go, no track. I mean, that's like the best, best place to start. Um, If you're someone that has calorie tracked before, I would start with a calorie goal and then an official protein goal. Um, Definitely for women, like 0.6 grams of protein per pound or higher. Um, And these are just generalizations, um, but 0.8 grams of protein per pound for higher for men. And a lot of people with calories and protein alone, like it will get you far. I don't think people understand um, how important protein is for muscle maintenance, uh, muscle growth, um, also metabolic rate, thermic effect of food, satiation. Um, So you're not doing all the extra snacking in between. But you guys, calories and protein alone will get you so, so, so far. Um, We have some clients that work with us for two months just on calories and protein. And then we start adding like the carb and fat goals in. If people are seasoned trackers, we'll start right away with like carbs, um, fat and protein goals. Um, But I think the big the big dial mover for most people across the board, no whatever, no matter what your phase is going to be, is getting your protein consumption up. Um, so many benefits to make progress. Yeah, completely agree. Do you view macros as a means to an end? Do you feel like it is something that should be done as a short-term intervention? It's great for awareness. It's great for education. It's great to learn what your body responds to. But then once I've been doing it long enough, I kind of pick up on things and I understand how to eyeball portion sizes and then I can move to more of an intuitive approach. Is that the way that you view it for most people? Yeah, 5,000%. 5,000%. As soon as a client is like, do I have to track forever? I'm like, no, we do not want you tracking forever. We don't want it to be a crutch. We don't want it to limit you. Um, also, we don't encourage like reliance on tracking for people to like find, and this is like getting deeper, but like self-worth, body image, weight control. Um, I only track like three months out of the year and that's if I'm in a cut because I've tracked for so long, like my very first time tracking, I tracked a year straight, but it took me that long to really go, oh, when I look at this chicken breast, can I estimate how many grams or how many ounces? Oh, when I put rice on my plate at a restaurant, like I can estimate it. Um, So I spend most of my year not tracking and intuitively eating. 
I just talked about this on my stories yesterday um, because of all we the traveling we had to like the summit and whatever. I went three weeks, no refrigerator, no microwave, um, traveling to four different cities. I lost weight and I just like I knew my portions by eyeing them. So we actually have a process of getting our clients away from macro tracking because it is a tool for a goal. Um, and it creates so much awareness, but you shouldn't be doing it for the rest of your life. I'm curious what that process looks like uh, when you move somebody away from macros, like they they're feeling good. Body comp is where they want it to be, or at least close enough. And they're like, you know what? I've been doing this a while and I want to start to transition out of macro tracking. But I do feel a little bit of a reliance on it. And there's that comfort in knowing exactly what I'm eating. And there's definitely you know, that personality type that likes structure and control to then say, we're going to start to remove this tool that you've been dependent on. What does that process look like for your clients? So when we do it, because we do do like calorie and carb cycling, where we have days where clients have higher calorie, higher carb or macro intake, um, some people call them refeed days, you know, put whatever word that you want in there. If we have a client that's been tracking for quite some time, um, has been able to manage weight well and makes really decent food choices, like they really got it down to not kind of toggle between like, I'm all the way in, I'm all the way out, but they kind of have like that 80, 20 balance with food and they're eating pretty consistently, like seven days a week. They're eating consistently with food choices when they're traveling, they're not using it like as a free for all. And they've really got, got this foundation um, on board. We'll start on the higher calorie or refeed day and have one day per meal um, or one meal per day per week where they stop tracking. And we're like, hey, you're already eating like this all the time. Pick what you normally would eat, but don't track it. And then we're still having them do their weights. They're tracking all the other days. And then we start progressing to that one higher calorie day per week being two meals not tracked, all meals not tracked now Saturday and Sunday. And it's just a progression of taking some of it away because a lot of people have to then see like the proof in the pudding of nothing disastrous is happening. Because I have these solid habits, I don't have to track to guarantee like my weight on the scale, my performance in the gym. Like I know this, but it's like reinforcing and taking off like one training wheel at a time so they get that confidence. Yeah, pretty similar to uh, the approach that we take. Um, do you have any any advice for people that struggle with the weekends being like, you know, I've got my work routine Monday through Friday. I eat kind of the same meals. I'm able to pre-plan, maybe to do a little bit of prep or whatever, whatever it requires. But then the weekends hit and it's running kids around to sporting events and I'm I'm never home and it's I'm on the go and it's tough to cook. It's tough to know where we're getting our meal from. Sometimes we go out. How do you help somebody with kind of dialing in or or at least having some framework or consistency around the weekends. Yeah, so maintenance or surplus, not as bad, you know, but when you're in that weight loss phase and you want to just do your time, get in and get out, you still want to be successful on the weekend. Um I give clients advice on how to pick things when you're eating out, even if it's the gas station, if it's restaurant food, drive-through, whatever, the baseball game, try to pick choices that are as similar as close to what you would naturally pick. But the biggest thing is look for your high protein items. And sometimes on the weekend when they are kind of at will to whatever's there, we'll have them just focus on calories and protein. And carbs and fats are gonna end up following where they fall, 
Could that end up being a hot dog at the baseball park? But then maybe they can eat out at a restaurant at night and get the steak, the broccoli, potato, French fries, whatever, but really focusing on what is really as similar as possible. What can I pack? What can I bring? But if I'm kind of at will, like calories and protein are key because calories are going to be the driver of your weight. Um, Protein is going to help with everything else and taking away the stress of just let the carbs and fats fall where they fall. Um, sometimes it happens where the day might go to shit. We just start over the next day. Like one day is not going to com- completely um, wreck what you have going on. Sometimes it might even be a little bit beneficial to get some of those extra calories and macros in. And we'll see that kind of show up in biofeedback and then wait the next uh, week. Yeah, totally. You you mentioned something that may have been glossed over and I want to just bring it back because it's it's an important point that so many people miss. You said get in and get out. Like do your time and get out when it comes to fat loss. And you know, we have people that they they're like, "Hey, I've been trying to lose fat for like 72 years and I'm still I'm exaggerating, but you know, spending that that 24/7 365 mindset in a fat loss phase just constant and I I did a whole episode about this where a lot of people mentally diet but physically aren't like mentally I want to lose weight and I'm trying to restrict and I'm trying to deprive myself, but physically I'm, I'm still binging. I'm still overindulging, but then the mental tax that it takes to always be focusing on fat loss is very draining. And mm-hmm. a lot of times people do this for years. What's your approach for a fat loss phase? I get this question probably more than anything else. How long should I be dieting? How long should my fat loss phase be? And I always say, it depends. It depends. Um, can you explain some of the nuance that goes into that? And and what does it depend on? What's kind of your take on how fat loss phases should be structured? How short, how long? What's And, and what are some of the variables that you consider when you look at each individual? I could probably talk about this for like 45 minutes because it's probably the top three questions we get is how long I've been in deficit for this, how long? And I'm like, oh my gosh. So in general, so I'm probably starting off like you in general. Um, and when with working with a coach, like I highly recommend it because it just takes a lot of the decision making process out of it and it goes more smooth. Um, but in general, about eight to 16 weeks. Um, if you are someone that is leaner and your body fat percentage is lower, your muscle mass is higher, um, you may be in a deficit for a shorter amount of time before you see things like adaptations, you start losing weight that may be both. Um, muscle, water, and fat. Of course, we want to lose as much fat as possible in a deficit, Um, but you might start losing gains. You may see um, sacrifices in like your PRs and stuff in the gym. So people that are leaner and have less fat on their body, they probably can't go as deep into a deficit um, and as long without having these strains on biofeedback that kind of just make everything come to a halt. Um, where you're doing all the work and you're not really seeing any progress. On the higher end, if your body fat percentage, if you're kind of like a average BMI to obese BMI, um, more closer to like three to four months, 
and people don't just like run with these numbers, but <laughs> um, 16 weeks is really the maximum that I give advice for. If you're working with a coach, they can definitely guide you better. But after being in a deficit that long, you are going to start experiencing adaptations because that's what the body naturally does to protect us and reach homeostasis. And being in a deep deficit for longer, you're not going to see as much return on being in that deficit. And so I'm really a fan of like getting in, getting out, getting back up to maintenance, going into a build phase, getting more muscle back on, getting calories up. And of course, if you have to lose more weight, then going back into a deficit in the future. Um, we do have a lot of people that come to us that have really been in a cut for two years. Some have been just mentally like you described in a cut for two years. And they're really just calorie cycling and they don't know it. They're low in the week and then they're high at maintenance on the weekend and they're just maintaining their weight constantly. Um, so if people like that, if they came to us um, or my advice, if you're working on yourself, I would actually start with the maintenance phase to really see where you're at and good, get good at managing those habits and knowing your total daily energy expenditure or maintenance calories, then going into a realistic cut um, so you can actually make um, some progress there. But when it comes to biofeedback, I'm looking at things like lab work, if you're getting it done, um, how is your sleep? How is your recovery, your mood, your energy, um, your hunger? Is it off the charts? Even small things that people don't think about, like losing your hair, is the is the texture of your skin changing? Are you waking up in the middle of the night, especially if you're a woman over 35? Um, like perimenopause symptoms can start to come in if you're in a deficit too long. Um, if I didn't say libido, sex drive, that's also things to look at. If those things are tanking, it's probably time to get out. Yeah, completely. Uh, it's such a good point. I think that more people practicing maintenance is probably the solution to like 90% of the problems that we're facing yeah. when it comes to like sustainable results. It's just, that's what, that's what we're all going to try to achieve at some point where you've, you've reached your goals. You, you feel good. You need to know what that looks like after the diet, after that fat loss phase and more time practicing maintenance is going to be the solution. Uh, another thing that I find really interesting is that you touched on like you only track three three months out of the year. The other times it's more intuitive. So I'm really interested in this question. It's kind of a, a charged question or a loaded question. So I'm going to preface it with that. Do you believe that we can actually intuitively eat given the landscape of distraction, food quality, processed foods, um, you know, devices, all of the things that we experience? Uh, because I see like, I'll just use the example of, of my fiance's kids. So sometimes they're sitting at the dinner table or no, we don't allow any devices at the table um, and very in tune with, am I hungry or am I not? But then I also see sometimes where it's like, come home from school, do some homework, get on the iPad and start snacking. And then in that scenario, the snacks just don't stop because there's no awareness of like, am I full or am I not? They're paying attention to the screen and just keep eating. So I see the impact that it has on our ability to be intuitive. Then there's also the combination of like highly palatable foods that are kind of designed to overconsume. Do you think that without the awareness piece first of like macro tracking and paying attention to those things, 
can we just go in with like, you know what, I'm going to totally listen to my body and it's going to tell me exactly what I need to achieve this goal. I'm probably going to make some people mad. (laughs) I think you have to track first. I do. I think you need the combination of both, like hunger cues, fullness cues, but also find out what's right for your body because it's not the same for everybody else. Like, how do you feel when you have days that you're lower carb, higher fat? How do you feel on days where you're vice versa? How do you feel when you've tracked protein at one gram of protein per body weight, per pound of body weight for six months, and then you drop? Like, how do you feel? How do you perform in the gym? Um, And being someone that did not track for quite some time, I didn't really develop a food awareness until I tracked. I don't think I would be as successful if I lost all that weight and just said, I'm just going to kind of just see what my body tells me to do. Again, I'm probably pissing people off, but that's okay. Um, But if I wouldn't have went through the process to really find out what my body needs, I don't think I'd be able to do this. Um, I just really don't. Um, I think it would be (laughs) probably would be a disaster for me because I would go back to the ho-hos and ding-dongs and Lay's potato chips. Like that's where I would be because my body would go, you're hungry. Yes, Eve, you can have those chips. But I have also this like, um, awareness, little angel sitting on my shoulder, if you want to call it saying like, you know, what's good for you. Um, but I've got that through experience, but I think the best intuitive eaters have been people who have actually tracked at some point. Yeah, I, I completely agree. We're on the same page. I think it would be totally different if we weren't inundated with those type of foods. And, you know, mm-hmm. the grocery store is like 99% processed foods and you have to hit the outer aisles that are very limited. And it's in like quality. an eighth a mile of cereal, right? <laughs> exactly. So I'm with you on that, even if it pisses people off. That's what we do. We, we piss people off here. Um, it's okay. Uh, so I'm curious, one last question. I want to be respectful of your time, but um, you've helped a lot of people. Obviously you kind of overcame obesity, you lost half your weight, you um, have helped a lot of clients do the same thing. You've helped a lot of clients lose a significant amount of weight. If you had to pinpoint, like, let's call it like the top three, or if you want to go five, whatever comes to mind, top three or five common traits of your clients, or, you know, include yourself in that, to being successful with reaching their body composition goals and being able to sustain it long-term what would be like the top three to three to five qualities of those individuals? I would say moderate to high protein consumption, consistently weight training, whether that's three times a week or five times a week, um, and focusing on neat activity, walking, um, probably approximately 10K steps per day or more. Those are probably all of our most successful people. That's what they focus on. And then if we had to take that from, like, I love that from the habit perspective, if we had to shift that over to the mindset perspective, what would you say, like, qualities of people that are able to, you know, you mentioned having a bad day and picking right up the next day, like, what are some of the traits uh, from maybe a personality or just from a mindset perspective that are common amongst those people? Yeah, people that focus on progress over like absolute perfection. And I talk about this like all the time. People that understand that being on track or on point 80 to 90% of the time is going to help them win versus I have to be perfect 100%. And those are the people that go from zero, like all the way in and all the way out 
and can't find that balance in between. The most, the people that are most successful know that if I can do what I know I need to do for myself 80% of the time, I can keep up with that. I'm good with that. And those people that are really kind of running that marathon at a steady rate. Yeah, I love it. Um, So for everybody listening that wants to stay connected with you, that wants to learn more about what you've got going on or just stay involved in all the various things from coaching to to whatever else you offer, um, give them the opportunity to do that. And I also know that uh, there's a lot of coaches that listen to this that may be interested in leveling up their skill set as a coach so that they can better serve people or um, just develop as a coach. Uh, so I just want to give you the opportunity to let everybody know where they can find you. Okay, cool. So I'm on Instagram every day. I know people hate it sometimes, but I actually love social media because I get to talk to people. Um, so you guys can find me on Instagram at Eve underscore FitChick. Um, I also have a separate account for coaches. It's called Macro Mentorship. It's all one word. We have a macro nutrition coaching certification that we've had for four years that helps coaches coach other people with science-based or macro-based programs and build their businesses from scratch. So definitely check that out if you're interested. Awesome. And I will post all of that in the show notes. Um, Eve, it was a pleasure speaking with you again and uh, always really appreciate the content that you produce and um, just everything that you're doing for the space. We need more people like you. So thank you so much for your time and wisdom and we will talk very soon. Thanks.